Adventure is a journey with an unknown outcome, which makes me think, what's our relationship like with the unknown? What does it take to truly step out into an adventure and let go of what the outcome might be? I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the mess, the busyness, the uncertainty and the unknown of our world. In this episode, I get the chance to chat once again with the incredible endurance athlete and beautiful friend of mine, Samantha Gash. I first chatted with Sam back in episode 105 of this podcast and in that conversation we dived more into her background and drive towards adventures so definitely check that out if you haven't listened to her background. Sam is an accomplished lawyer turned endurance athlete and may be well known to you after two appearances on Australian Survivor. In this episode we dive into Sam's latest adventure hiking across the Great Himalayan Track. Yep, Sam loves to find a country and find a way to adventure across it. This time it was Nepal. Sam shares some of the insights that she's still discovering as she unpacks what this adventure was about and what it means to her. We talk about putting ourselves in the way of challenges. How can we do that more when so much of the pull is towards comfort? And what does resilience really mean? We also dive into Sam's latest endeavor, which is her trails. It's a female adventure community, which Sam and Beck Wilcox started during the pandemic. One of the keys of facing challenges and the unknown are having deep relationships with other people along the way. At a heart, Sam is a gatherer of people. If adventure and your relationship with the unknown are things that you're ready to explore, then soak up this conversation with Samantha Gash. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, Sam, it is such a delight to be Sitting down face to face in a studio in wet, rainy Melbourne. I actually <laughs> love good. that our relationship now is like typically in like outdoor spaces. Yeah. <laughs> Though like we totally didn't meet in that context. We met like in the back of a van before we were going to a corporate speaking <laughs> engagement together. And you know, in now, uncomfortable high heels. Oh, I do remember that. I'm, I'm in flats today. I'm in I'm in sneakers, but yes. not quite as comfortable as runners. Yeah. So. Okay, we can do it all. I actually like that. We can do it all. We can do it all and our mm. connection has evolved. Yeah. I like where it's going though. Yeah, <laughs> more outdoors. <laughs> Way more outdoors. Yeah. There is so much around challenges and venture that I want to dive into because I think we often put challenges out as something that's kind of out here, but it's not often the conversation that we have in the day-to-day. Mm. You have an amazing definition of adventure. Can you share what that definition is? Wouldn't you laugh if I couldn't remember it now? (laughs) (laughs) I can remember it though. It's a journey with an unknown outcome. And the thing that strikes me, the why I go, I think that's such a great definition, is the unknown outcome. Mm. Because people want a guarantee. Yes. They want to know it's going to work. If I'm going to do something, if I'm going to put in the training, if I'm going to put in the effort, if I'm going to plan for it, I want to guarantee that it's going to work. Yeah, and I think what's inherent in those who seek adventure, and let's realise that with that definition, adventure is far broader than just climbing a mountain. Mm. I think that's the thrill of it. Like part and parcel, what terrifies you is also what excites you and intrigues you to it. So not knowing what the pathway is going to be or what the end destination might hold is I think what is part and parcel of being an innovator, like wanting to go to the edge of your comfort or the edge of the unknown. Um, it obviously like means that you have to be quite accepting of setbacks, maybe quote unquote failure, because that is all going to be a part of it. 
Like the reality is those who seek adventure also should be people who are comfortable at capturing failure as well as an opportunity for growth. Do you think that can be learned? Yes, I do actually. I am a type A personality and inherent in that is really wanting to be successful. And it was only when I kind of started to, I guess, put aside what I thought you know, my ego might have been and been willing to play and explore through experiences that may be more adventurous. And in crazy, if we were to use the word success, has probably made me more successful in the life bucket type of a way. So interesting, isn't mm. it? That sense of failure, which is the very last thing that we want to do, that we do not associate with success at all. And yet what you're describing is it's inherently... It's inherent. It's a part of it. And it's like, The people are successful, the ones that can capture it, going, okay, well, this didn't work out. I recently did a talk for Optus. (laughs) They've had a few pretty significant setbacks recently with, you know, the issues Mm. of data breach. And we really spoke about this idea of like, what is it like when the plan that you put in play of what you thought your trajectory and your goals were for this particular year, this quarter, completely get derailed because sometimes in these adventures, things happen of your choosing and things happen completely not of your choosing. And I think people are more adventurous than they realise. I mean, we all had to be to a degree adventurous when we had COVID thrown our way. And so I think people put themselves in a basket of like, oh, I need certainty. I need I need it more than I think I need it. But the reality is like, I think people cut themselves short from living in a space that is unclear and undefined. But I think the reality is the way the future of the workplace, the future of parenthood, I think really is far more adventurous than we possibly realise. There's a dual thing around, there's liberation in not knowing what's going to (laughs) happen, where anything is possible. You know, I constantly love to throw people into that space. (laughs) I'm like, you don't need to know. You don't need to know. (laughs) An agenda? Who needs an agenda? (laughs) But it's great. I mean, I now really appreciate when people um, kind of take my need to know everything and they're just going to allow me to be in an experience. And because I've had that bestowed upon me a couple of times, I now like to be in the driver's seat where I bring, you know, particularly through our Her Trials Adventures and Retreats, bring a group of women together who are so used to being in the driver's seat, doing the structures, the logistics, moving people from point A to B to C, and then going, you don't need to know anything. And I've learnt through time, like I did at the beginning, like it's fine, you don't need to know anything. And I learnt how stressful that is for some people Mm. because if you want people to abandon their need to know A, B, C, D, E, the reality is they need to trust you. So you need to do things to allow people to create that sense of trust. So I now go like what questions do you need to have answered in order to relinquish what is your normal mode of operation, Mm. your way of thinking? Like it's crazy. I'm I have a trip coming to the Lara Pinta and one of it was around just menstruation. Like, oh, I, th- I think I'm going to get my period during that time and, like, I don't know where the toilets might be or maybe should I, you know, skip the pill or all this kind of stuff. And it was literally, I was like, I'm just going to give you a phone call. Within five minutes, she's like, oh, that's, I feel fine now. And I think my answer to her was you couldn't be in a better group of people to be supported to have your period during adventure. You know, I go, it's a group of women. We all get it. Um, and it's funny how people just need a little reassurance to then go, cool, I trust you. I'm now willing to go on this ride of uncertainty and I'm going to be excited by it. What you're calling for is for them to trust you. But I guess what I'm also hearing is how can you trust a situation? So that ability to ask that question, to be able to 
have, you know, even as people are listening to this, what question do I need answered for me to be able to let go? It's not just trust the situation, Ali. It's like to trust yourself, like to trust yourself that you'll survive pretty much most situations that will come your way because you have. To be at this point right now, you have dealt with significant setbacks. You've dealt with things that came your way that you didn't expect to happen. We learn through experiences and I think sometimes we like to silo, well, People might know that they're a great mum, but they think, oh, I couldn't possibly go and hike across the Larapinta Trail, not realising that a lot of the things that they do day to day, being spontaneous, dealing with <laughs> all the things that don't go to plan <laughs> as being a mother, you can utilise that same kind of skill set with patience, with yourself, grace, kindness, allowing other people to have maybe emotions of challenge and like be there to listen, not to always give an answer. Like, we do that in our everyday. We can transpose that into a completely new environment. We're going to talk a little bit about her trails in a moment, not only where it came from but the evolution of it and what you've seen, what we've both seen in the community of her trails. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about your adventure yeah. in particular, like Nepal yep. and the Great Himalayan Track. But your relationship with adventure has no doubt evolved mm. over your career as an endurance athlete. There must be something about adventure that pulls you back. How is that relationship or how is it evolving for you personally? Uh, I mean, I think it changes all the time. It's constantly evolving. It's never stagnant. My desire for a certain adventurous pursuit is never the same reason as it was last year or the time before. There's always like underpinnings of, you know, I, I want to use this moment in time or my ability to push myself in this kind of way to serve a purpose bigger than, than myself. That kind of theme has crossed between all my adventures but I'd say my most recent one where myself and uh, a really good girlfriend Jessie Lynn definitely now a really good girlfriend <laughs> um, Jessie and I undertook what was a very ambitious objective of traversing the Great Himalayan Trail uh, in Nepal from the Tibetan border to the Indian border in 50 days like we knew from the outset our goal of doing that in 50 days was going to mean that things really had to go to plan but being a mum, I knew I couldn't really give myself much more than 50 days. So we were kind of constrained with Jesse needing to go back to work as a doctor, me realising that my whole past was well and truly already <laughs> past. And we were just like, let's give it a shot. And if it doesn't work out this way, we'll just keep redefining it and reshaping it to do as much time out here as possible. And I think I was really drawn to doing it because a part of me wanted to reconnect to my sense of wild freedom that possibly I had prior to becoming a mum. It's not that I want to be back in that permanently, but like I do like to have moments where I can be single-minded focus on the trail and my own kind of survival. I now realise how much of a luxury it is to be tapped into a single-minded focus zone. Mm. I don't think now really as a mother you ever really have it again. You're always pulled in different directions and it's like a beauty. It's such a beauty to be pulled into the direction of like caring for your child, want to operate your business, want to try and do a social impact project, want to try and have an adventurous life. Like you're pulled and stretched in all different directions. I used to think my key to success was my capacity, pre-motherhood, to lock in 110% to one thing and like see it through at all costs. And now I realise I'm possibly still doing that, but the capacity looks quite different. So, yeah, I'm 100% of what I can in that moment, but the moment is shorter. 
Mm. And so for 50 days, I loved the idea of that was my only thing that I was doing. Connection to the outside world possibly was going to be limited. Um, it was really one foot in front of the other. There was like, there's a simplicity, even though it's really, really challenging. And what's the reconnection back to you? Like, what was the, um, like, there's something about that kind of really single-minded time. There's nothing else. I don't need to cook dinner. I don't need to pick anything up. I don't need to I mean, I should send give an credit. email or anything. I should but give what? credit to Mark. He already does, like, he does the cooking, like, so I don't do that. <laughs> we both know where we stand <laughs> yeah, oh on, God, on that, cooking. That's a, again, we spend time together and the hilarious part is, like, we're always, like, we offer to help but we can't do much. <laughs> I will eat your cooking. I will appreciate it, but I am not. And we'll do the washing <laughs> up afterwards. Yes, totally. Um, what is it? I don't know. Like because it's never come easy to me, I just feel so grateful to be able to do it and to like struggle my way through it but know that even through the struggle, like it's actually a place of like pure peace. I think if it was super, super easy, my mind would wander. But because there is like attention, like I'm not naturally coordinated, like I'm scared of heights, I'm like terrified of things going wrong, like I've got a pretty heightened like fear alert around me. I've learned through experience that I know how to live alongside that and still do these big things. But because there is a little bit of tension, I am forced to be so present and it's really liberating. So going back to the definition of adventure <laughs> is something with an unknown outcome. And you've mentioned that you and Jessica kind of went, let's do it. We've got these 50 days. That's it. That's the yep. window. Give it everything we can and we don't know and we'll see. <laughs> day one, and I know there's kind of a pre-day yeah. one to get to what to day, day one, one was. Yep. So whatever day one feels like for you. Mm. What was your relationship like with the unknown as you put on the backpack and took those first couple of steps. Yeah, I think just because you've played in the unknown doesn't mean that you don't go through the same anxiety of trying to hold on to rigid plans. Jesse and I were really committed to making it work, like to getting done in 50 days. And then, yeah, as you said, like we had a couple of days to get to the start line on foot and we realised really quickly like, oh, wow, being at this altitude and like the air is not only thin but it's dry and it's this was like getting to the Tibetan border, which was our preamble to the start. Like we're like, oh, it's hard to find food. You know, there are these remote villages that particularly during COVID with the border to Tibet closing, like they haven't seen foreigners. Most of the places where you might have previously been able to get food are closed down. The migrant population that's going between Delhi to, you know, spending time in these kind of very remote western part of Nepal, like it's even more remote now. Uh, and so it was like... For a couple of days, I lived off like chapati, and then they only had peanut butter. I'm allergic to peanuts, so I was like, "Any jam, please." <laughs> and so I lived off like just dry chapati, and so it was like, yeah, it was hard going. And we, fortunately, we managed to like find someone who was driving this big truck to kind of help us get to our start line. And already, you're kind of going, "Okay, am I?" breaking the rules, getting in a vehicle to get to the start line. And we're like, well, no, because we haven't even started this thing yet. And if we can save our legs, like our ability to be able to do this is also us being smart, not being dogged in how we, the vision of how we thought it was going to look. And so it felt like a win, like being able to negotiate in a language that's very foreign to what we know in a culture that is just so remote from what we know. Um, and we managed to get this big truck. We sat in the tray and we went around these really, really windy, land-slidden, like, roads. 
where more and more people from like the, the villages would just appear and jump into the tray and they were collecting firewood because, you know, winter was coming up and, you know, there's no electricity here so it was going to get very, very cold and so they're all trying to source wood all the way down the mountain. In a very short period of time we went from like two and a half thousand meters above sea level and we got to 4,200 meters and we did like a big portion of that in like a, a truck and so we were like oh wow this is intense but we did it in pitch black and then the next day we had to start it in the light time and we're like wow this looks like a completely different land and what was also fascinating is you're kind of on that Tibetan border like you really could see infrastructure electricity like in over in Tibet and then nothing in Nepal. Like there was just these really interesting like observations that you're making. And I guess this is another thing that I like about adventure. It takes you to places that books can only do so well to describe, you know, to see it. I mean, the fact that we had to journey for multiple days through different modes of transport to get to that place on the Tibetan border, you know, it's amazing. The cultural nuances, the different ways of living, the the ability for human beings to adapt is oh. extraordinary. And as you say, you can't read that. And people were intrigued by us. And like, if anyone spoke a little bit of English, somehow the word would get around in these like villages, oh, there's two, you know, Western white women who were in here. And then people would come and they wanted to practice their English with us. And some of them had spent some time in Kathmandu. And some of them were highly educated, but are now, you know, working, uh, you know, farming and agriculture. And, you know, and sometimes feeling disillusioned and other times feeling really connected because they get to be back with their family. Like nothing simple. Like, you know, some of them don't want to work harder, but then they know their opportunities are going to be limited. Like, you know, we met that when we were uh, in the Dolpa region and we were speaking to airport officials because we were stranded there for days. So like I feel like all the setbacks we had also gave us an opportunity to really connect with the people who live there and I think that's also was a part of the adventure, being able to get an understanding of what is it like to live in these really remote parts of the world where challenges are different, people seem sturdier because they almost need to for survival, people don't think too far ahead because tomorrow is not promised. And literally the landscape around you is incredibly fragile. And I think the at a robustness is, comes from realising that life is short. And you got to see that really up close yeah. again, not part of the plans. <laughs> Tell me, first of all, just so that people get a little bit of an idea, some of the numbers. So how long is the trail? You, you said mentioned 50 days. The yeah. ascent and descent numbers are... I mean... There's no such thing as like the Great Himalaya Trail. Mm. It's, it's more a series of hundreds of different interconnecting trails uh, and you could take many different options. So often people in endurance world talks about these things of fastest known times. There's no You can't do that here mm-hmm. because as the landscape changes because of landslides or flooding or earthquakes, different trails are created. And we learnt the challenge with navigation with that. You, there's many different ways of getting forward and some connect up and some become closed options. But the route that we were looking at was about 1,600 kilometres, just a bit over 1,000 miles. We thought it was going to be around 80,000 plus metres of elevation gain. I don't even know what was our final, but we did a lot less in distance. We ended up doing 1,000 kilometres as opposed to 1,000 miles. Mm -hmm. And that's because maybe four days into our actual traverse, there was an earthquake off Bangladesh which just completely affected Nepal all the way across the country. You know, when you first are experiencing like 
the ramifications of that. You you think it's really insular, like you think it's just you and you're very like you, you personalize it. Like I can't believe this is happening to me. Why can't we move forward? We've been working on this for literally like putting blood, sweat and tears for months. And then you, you know, like we were stranded. And so like Jesse and I, no comms to get outside, like electricity is gone. We're in the middle of a Hindu festival, so, like, everything was already closed and there's a lot of sheep that's been slaughtered outside. (laughs) It's just, like, intense. Um, And there's this young man who works in this, like, guest house that we're staying at who speaks a little bit of English and he just became this, I don't know, like, our only connection really to information. But at the same time, he is really worried for us because he sees that Jesse and I were pretty adamant that we're going to move forward at all costs because... Again, we're thinking insular, like if you got hit by bad weather in Australia, maybe with the exception of a bushfire, but like cold weather, you nearly always think that you can, like if there's heavy rain, like, hey, well, maybe I can't do that route, but maybe I could go around that way or maybe we could go via road or, you know, plan A, B, C, D. Particularly when you are physically capable still. Yeah. when You've you're, got the gear. You're, when your body is able mean. and your mind is willing, there's got to be a way. Mm. You've got like the David Goggins of the world who are like, you can keep moving forward at all costs. And you have these influences in your head of like, don't be soft. You've got to find Fine. a way out. And like I had people messaging me going, you guys can do it. Like find another way. Oh, gosh. And like so for five or six days in a row – we like had bought all this wet weather gear. We put on these massive gum boots. Had like three layers of socks. Put garbage bags around all our clothing and everything. And we'd go off thinking, okay, we today is the day we're going to find a way forward. And I think the most in those days that we ever moved was six k's. And literally, what we thought were gunshots firing in the distance were literally boulders like crashing down all around us. They weren't just like creating landslides, but the the trails and the road were like breaking in part. You could literally see big lines and like you could see them getting bigger and bigger and like you were making a step and you're like, what am I doing? Like, but it did take us till we kind of got pulled aside by this man who spoke a little bit of English because he he was uh, running a not-for-profit organisation and he goes, just not far up the road, like a landslide went and destroyed a little community and people lost their lives and Jesse and I like went into this man's home. He gave us like tea and like they fed us chapatis. <laughs> Yay, chapatis! <laughs> <laughs> and we just looked at each other and we're like, let's just stop pushing. We feel like we're indebted to ourselves and the project to keep pushing. But like what if moving forward in this instance is actually like just pausing and not needing to know the answer? And it's so funny because you keep going, well, I mean, like how many days? Like, so if we can move in two days, do you think we can still do that part of the route? Or like maybe we'll need to get in a vehicle and we're like, what if for a moment we don't like forecast ahead, we just like sit with this and wait till more information comes? Let's just say that's when the adventure began. Yeah. And there is a part of me going, yep, I could do that for an hour. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) And then I want to know and what's next and Mm. what about and who else can we talk to and we're not talking to the right people. And Oh, you should have seen us. Like, even though I said that we, you know, like, it's like we had to keep going back to that place, but it didn't mean in the process, we didn't leap at every opportunity to try and Mm. source a way out. You know, I, I met these like guys who drove these trucks and I was trying to, you know, negotiate a way for them to drive me forward. And then also I came to this realisation, you're putting their lives at risk and maybe they're going to do it because you're offering them money. And then how wrong is that? 
Now, we later found out that a very similar-esque situation happened where I don't know if they were porters or qualified, but they certainly didn't have the right footwear to be in the deep snow that was now up in the Dolpa region out west in Nepal. And like some Nepalese porters, you know, had frostbite because they were going there because they were probably being paid a high amount of money from tourists who were demanding them to take them forward because they're like, I've got a time frame and and I want to climb that or I want to do that. But literally all across Nepal, expeditions on Manaslu, Everest, were all being cancelled. You know, people were losing their lives. And, yeah, we can talk about the tourists that were losing their lives and a lot of attention was given to that. But there were, like, locals who were losing their lives. There was livelihood that was being destroyed through the landslides. You know, there was literal fuel that's going to keep these people warm and safe during the winter that's now gone. Mm. Food security. People had lost all their rice and, like, it was intense and there was times where, and, you know, people were hurt and Jesse was a doctor and so we had all these dilemmas of, like, do we go out and help? But really, like, it's very hard for Jesse to go and help when she can't take proper medical history, she can't really provide any medicine and she can't provide support moving forward. So we, it got complicated. Was there ever a moment in amongst that, particularly when you got to a point of realising that you'd be able to get out of that space where you went, radio, we gave it a go and it's um, okay to go home? This uh, is perspective yeah. on what's Life. happening. Yeah, I'm an, I'm an optimist. So, like, it takes a long time for me to go, like, maybe I shouldn't be here. We had many times where we had to stop. So, like, we were really um, optimistic that we could keep going forward. Like, so we, we'd get to a certain point we were in this village called Gamgadi for days on end and then we managed to walk our way to an, a remote airport realising that the roads weren't going to be fixed for months and the trails were inhabitable. So we were like, okay, let's just wait for a plane and like literally we became just – when I talk about a plane, like 500-metre runway and there was a crash Off plane a on the runway. <gasps> like so literally we're sitting there and we I, – I felt, I felt like if we just laid on the runway maybe like a plane would eventually come – there's nowhere to buy tickets. There's no information when a plane's coming in. And it was like the last route the planes would come to. So they'd go first to um, Lukla and Pokhara. Like they'd always, like we literally did do a tour of the regional airport in Nepal, particularly out west. So we were stranded there for another series of days and um, we finally got onto it and we're like, it's amazing how you seek information that you want to hear. So someone said, I think you'll be able to rejoin the Dolpa region from Dolpa Airport. It was this incredible flight through the Himalayas, though I didn't get to enjoy it because I'd lost the GoPro that morning because I was just running around like a headless chook. And I was like, oh, my gosh, all our footage for the documentary that we're preview screening tonight. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's all gone. And I was freaking out. And we're here, we're flying literally in the Himalayas on this very, very small plane that we finally managed to get out onto. And I was just like in a ball crying and Jesse's trying to calm me down. We finally get at this airport and I'm like literally pulling every like story, trying to get the airport officials to call back to the previous airport to see if I left it anywhere. We actually found it. Someone, a random person found it outside the airport and it got sent to us a couple of days later. There you go. And you never know. We, I mean, I, I think I said that I was a reporter for the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> it's I a think, scoop. <laughs> it 
I was like, this 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 GoPro is so important. And I was just, we'd actually spent some time with a, a journalist from the BBC. And so I think her stories <laughs> like, of how things sometimes move quicker when you're a journalist from the BBC. And I was like, there's footage on that. It's for a story on the BBC. And it was amazing how things started to move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I feel kind of bad about that. But particularly because they later like, the airport officials who are helping us definitely got access to my Instagram account and probably worked out that I wasn't a reporter for the BBC. <laughs> but anyway, like then we got to this airport called Dolper and then there was like all these expeditions that had been cancelled. It was like Tent City. Everyone's like, you can't go there. And this is where we're trying to get to Foxendo Lake to then enter into the Dolpa region, which is the part of Nepal we really wanted to do. We were so persistent because this is like the wild, wild west. Like you've got to pay quite a bit of money, you've got to really know your skills, you've got to back yourself. And um, we were like, well, let's just see if we can get to Foxundo Lake and then make our final decision. And we had to go to Foxundo Lake because we had a gear drop there. So it took us two days to get to Foxundo Lake. And then once again, it was some people were saying, yeah, if you wait two days, you might be able to get through. Some people were like, there's two metres snow up there. No locals are going through there. There's no way you can get through. And again, you're just, you're wanting it to be right. We're like, let's wait it out a little bit. We've come this far. And in the end, we realised like, it's just not going to happen. So we backtracked what we did in two days coming up. We went back in one day doing this massive 42K day, but then we were stranded at that airport again. And it took us days. I think we waited another four days. I think we were stranded for a total of 13 days on the Mm -hmm. entire trip of 50 days. And we just had to keep creeping forward via a plane to like, okay, we think we can access the trail around there. And so it was like full on and it was a total test in patience. But at that time when we got back from Foxundo Lake, that's when Jesse's like, maybe we're just not meant to be there. Um, and we had a little bit of cell service there. And so I had a friend back in Australia who I reached out to and I spoke to a lot and they were experiencing adventures. And I remember like really seeking solace and someone going like, what is revealed to you right now is exactly what you're meant to be in. Like, let go of the plans. And I really do think we went from plan A to plan T. And like, plan A was really rigid and tight and very comprehensive. And plan T was very loose. <laughs> it was like, it was a little thread, <laughs> you know, but you, you still need something. You still need a plan. You need, because plans give you hope and they give you structure and they give you confidence. But I feel like we're very lucky that we got through unscathed. Putting yourself in the way of doing the work, having done the training, having the equipment, asking for what uh, that planning means mm. that you know an area and where to go and navigate and, and all the rest. But uh, that ability to actually just take that advice and go, this is exactly where you're meant to be. I read this beautiful um, poem by David White, who's an English poet, and I think the last line was something like, when we are in the unknown, sometimes that's the best place to be because then we really pay attention. Mm. And there's something about that ability to go, okay, now we're paying attention. We're not just ticking off the to-do list that's Yeah, powerful. like you're yielding. Like there is a beauty in the, the yield. I, I think when you first have a baby, you're often yielding. Like you think it's going to look a certain way. You think mm. you're going to be a certain type of mother. I remember like when I was pregnant, I was like, I'm never going to let Mark watch me use the express pump. And then literally, I think like Harry was born for six hours and Mark's squeezing my nipple trying to get like the colostrum out and you realise like, okay. Like, it's all like. <laughs> you know, like that vision of like what I thought was going to like protect our romance, <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> and it's okay. Totally you know, okay. And it's totally fine. So yeah. like, you know, we have evolutions. Like, you know, I think if you didn't have a plan of how you're going to cross the Great Himalayan Trail, like you would just never 
you would never be there. No. You wouldn't do the work. So it's like it's these evolutions of like what it looks like to have skin in the game. The connection and team that you have. So anything you do, you don't do alone. And you've spoken about the the connection with Jesse. Mm. You obviously are making decisions together. You're navigating landslides together. You're trying to find food, language decisions together. How much pre-work did you do before going? What conversations did you have in order to prepare that relationship so that you knew or or did you? What were the things that you kind of talked about yeah. before or did that form as you were on the adventure? I mean, we definitely had chats. I mean, I'd say for the most part, like the relationships I've gone into adventures with have been worked out really well. There's some elements that haven't worked out well that have now like given me a really good understanding of the prior conversations that you should have. Um, you know, in all transparency, we did have a third team member. And I think, well, actually, firstly, it was me and this other person, um, Meeks. And and then Jesse kind of came along later on. And it just we met during a hike in Tasmania. And I just felt she knew she was going to plan to do the Great Himalayan Trail in a couple of years and then she had a relationship break up and on a whim I was like, I think you should come with us. And I just felt that it was right. And But then we had to go through the process of making sure that Megan felt comfortable with a third person coming in. So that we did that really beautifully. We had agreements that you would never, ever have a conversation about any one of you without the three of you being there. We were like, be comfortable having difficult conversations. Like it might feel hard and it might feel personal, but the reality is any conversation is actually not about a personal nature. It's about the success of what we want this project to be and the values of the project. So, so many of the conversations are about like, what do we hope to achieve? Why are we doing what we're doing? And Megan didn't end up joining us because I think her values and reasons for doing the project shifted from the very beginning to where it probably was a couple of months going out. And it was a, there was a point of tension. Like it was tough. I think when someone realizes, oh, I don't think this is now in the direction that maybe I've changed. And that can happen from when you decide to do something to when, you know, it's getting closer and closer to that happening. And like 10 extra days to commit to something is a massive undertaking. You have to extract yourself from your life and every other responsibility you have. You're going to let opportunities slide. Uh, and I think you have to be fully invested that, you know, you're not someone who's going to have FOMO for missing stuff. Mm. Like you're going to have the joy of missing out to be in something. Uh, and I just think Megan's intentions shifted. And it's funny, like I could feel it. And I felt I was like nearly getting to a point where I was like, I think it's getting a bit toxic because I think people wrestle when when things aren't working out. You kind of want it there to be a big reason to pull out versus like, oh, it's just I'm not in alignment anymore. And beautifully, to Megan's credit, she like really gracefully extracted herself from the team. And I was really impressed. Like it wasn't pleasant getting to that point, but I think when she all, all of a sudden had her aha moment mm -hmm. and how she dealt with it, I was like, what a beautiful way of exiting a project that is no longer right for you. You know, these things can happen. Like you can have partnerships that don't work out and it doesn't mean that anyone is a bad person. You just got to own what's important to you. And these... Going out in the wilderness for that amount of time with the number of things that went wrong, which all three of us were fully aware that things weren't going to go to plan, you want to be solid. You want to be there. Yeah, you don't want a sense of, oh, just see. Yeah, I'll just see. <laughs> see and like, oh, and yeah. you don't want intentions of like, I think for, for, and I don't want to speak for her at all, but I think her intentions were more of like, what could this mean post? And I think for both Jesse and I, me being a mum and Jesse being a doctor, like we just wanted to be in that adventure for the 
for fun and for liberation and experience. And like Megan probably comes from a background of more adventure is what she does as a job. And so it almost needed to mean something more. And so, I, you know, that's totally fine. Like you can all have different reasons. And maybe if I didn't, maybe if I hadn't have brought Jesse into the project, Megan and I would have been fine. But something drew me to Jesse as a partnership. The way we see the world is really similar. How we view partnerships and relationships are really similar. Our lightness, like complementary in our skill sets. And so, yeah, I have to also take responsibility that maybe I felt compelled to bring Jesse because we were more in sync. Even just listening around that, whatever the challenge or the adventure is that you might be facing, that permission to go, if that's shifted, yeah. it's completely okay. Yeah. Was there, where you talk about that alignment of really immersing in the experience, was there a particular moment at all, and there possibly were a couple, where you kind of exhaled and went, this is exactly what I wanted from this experience, whether it was maybe in hindsight, so sometimes you're so immersed in the next step or the view or the the conversation or the laughter or whatever it was, but was there something, a moment that kind of comes to mind? We talked a lot. I mean, we went there. Like there was times when it was so stressful, the physical undertaking, that, you know, you're really in survival of that. When we got back on the move after being stationary for so long, there was such a gratitude, like when we were heading to Fox Under Lake, I mean, we ultimately had to turn back, but we kind of came to terms with, it was quite likely we we're going to turn back. And we're like, well, this section of trail is so incredible. So, so we might be going to a dead end and have to come and do all those footsteps all over again. But at that point, was that was the best part of trail that we'd seen. And who knows if it felt the best because we'd been stranded for so long. So perspective is beautiful. But yeah, that time... I definitely had this moment when some of the high altitude passes like were really challenging for me and seeing how Jesse and I worked together as a team through the adversity was this reminder of like I, I am meant to be doing this experience with this woman. Like we're meant to be sharing this. I think it is our partnership that is the biggest takeaway from me, you know, and it took us to being in Nepal, a place that meant so much to the two of us and doing it for why we were doing it and in how we chose to do it. I have a friend that's like a sister for life and we didn't really know each other particularly well. And I do think a lot of relationships would have crumbled in that situation. Now for five months Mm. post-experience, one of the things I've learned from you is the value of reflection after an adventure. There can be this kind of post-adventure depression or slump or experience that can be in place. But it also, I think the aha moments or the what, what is it that's going to sit with me takes a little bit oh, to yeah. to get ferment. into place, ferment, to drop. Um, and that might still be happening for you with obviously that connection, the relationship with Jesse, the strength of that is is one of the elements. Is there anything else that's fermented that's dropped for you? In Definitely. Time? I had to do a presentation not long after I got back and I was a, and not like an emotional mess, but I was just like drained and my thoughts were all over the place. Like I didn't know what it meant. And I remember being just very honest with the audience going, I'm going to tell you what this experience was. It's very, very fresh. And I can tell you what I'm feeling now, but I can tell you straight away that the way I'm going to feel about it in one month and six months time is going to be very, very different. So what you're getting is like an imperfect reflection right now. It's not the cemented reflection. And I think more people need to be honest about those like 
you know, like we love to package things up in this mm. neat little bow, like this is what this experience meant to me. This is what's going to stand the test of time and it evolves. But what I do know now is I feel like Jesse and I were incredibly fortunate to watch what I consider to be some of the most resilient people on the planet cope when things don't go to plan. How the composure was, you know, the connection to kind of helping other people. Like there were people that would, we were going over all these like kind of mudslides and Jesse and I were like clearly not au fait or familiar with it. And like this woman with no shoes just held my hand and walked. Like she didn't need to go over that mudslide, but she grabbed my hand and she walked me through it. So there, there were these moments of like, I think, you know, when you're doing a social impact project and you're trying to support, you know, you lean into that, um, helping those uh, vulnerable women and girls, those in marginalised communities, those that don't have accessibility to opportunities when it comes to accessing education, healthcare, there's taboo topics around menstruation. It's very easy to say like all the things that they don't have and then kind of forget that there's like a lot there. There's a lot of strength of character there's a lot of strength of connection to community. And so I think Jesse and I tried to, I think we were modelling our partnership through what we were observing on the fly and um, keeping perspective, thinking to those who had less, keeping composed because if you are frantic and emotional, even if you're feeling distressed, you can't make a decision in that state. So, and then we'd have a moment after, well, after we'd kind of gotten through it, we're like, okay, let's have a release or let's have a cry. And let's, we worked out really quickly that we're both people that need physical affection. And so how lucky, I mean, I feel emotional thinking about it. Like if I was doing a project like that by myself, mm. I don't know how it would have been not being able to like hold someone and to kind of be like, that's a safe place. Like I've got your back, you've got my back. Um, so yeah, being able to share experiences you know, like I don't need to be that like warrior woman, you know, standing on a mountain by myself going like, I did this, it was me on my own. Like, I mean, that's bullshit. Like you're never doing it on your own. You're always drawing from the strength of something. Yes, you have a lot within yourself and good on you for having the mental resolve to access all that stuff. But we are never like women or men stranded on an island by ourselves. Um, and I think like honouring the strength of what's around us to do the things that we do is really, really powerful. And that power of being able to really pay attention to the people around you, the lessons along the way, like I can see you almost picture that oh my. your woman kind of holding a hand across the mudslide, like it's yeah. extraordinary. And I was battling hardcore learning. one day. We were walking near like these very elderly women who were just so, so stronger in that terrain and that altitude. But I remember once like a lady kept looking at my pole. Um, it was like a pink lucky pole and um, I could just tell she wanted to, she wanted it. Um, and I just remember passing it on. And so like there's this great photo of like me with one pole and her with her pole and like we couldn't speak any language but we were each kind of like moving together and she just stood right near me. Like, you know, she could have probably gone a lot quicker but it was just like people want connectivity. Mm. Like they want to be around other people, particularly when things are looking vulnerable. Talk to me about the strength of connection that happens through challenges. So not necessarily Nepal or the Himalayas. Mm. You've been on a whole range of different connections. You and I have been on experiences oh through Lara Pinta and Bruni Island. Yeah. And we'll talk again a bit more about her trails, what it is and the evolution of that. But often, you know, we started this by that definition of adventure. 
I've got this theory that I think we have this capability of stepping into more challenges than we give ourselves credit Mm. for. And sometimes in amongst the uncertainty, we wait for the timing to be right or things to settle down or for the kids to be older or to, you know, for whatever. There's always this kind of what if, so I'll put it off until later. And yet, and I'm fitter, I've got more money, I've got more time. And like the reality is, none of that stuff's ever going to exist. Yeah. And yet, we, there's something about when we say yes to the challenges, some of them are solo, but even in that, we get connected to humanity. We get Mm. connected to other people around us. What would you say to encourage someone who might be going, yeah, I've had this inkling of a challenge, but I have said all of those things. Now it's not time, right time. I'm not this, 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 whatever, enough yet. Mm. What have you learned about challenges and what, what would you encourage them? I think the first thing is um, it starts from this permissive license that you're allowed to have, you're allowed to carve space for yourself. And I think that is the, the start. Like it could be because you want to connect to landscape or whatever it is, but I think it's on a more granular, deeper level is like I am carving out time for me and whatever might unfold and the reality is what you get is typically what you need so your intentions for doing it you know I've met so many women who who end up carving space for themselves and they're like these are my objectives like I want to get this I want to be grounded to culture or you know and all those things can happen but what ends up happening is what you really did need in that moment and I think that's so beautiful again it's that whole yielding piece I think If you're going to go into uncertainty or unknown, I think it is really nice to make sure that you have broadened your foundation of well-being because I think it is hard to leap from shaky ground. Not saying you can't do it and sometimes people need to do it when they're already feeling on the edge. But I do think, you know, like that first time when you came on that trip and you were giving yourself adventure and it's almost like you felt like you didn't deserve it because you didn't put the work in. Mm -hmm. I think there's really something powerful of going, okay, like I've train myself mentally, physically of what it requires, but I'm like also making sure I'm getting good quality sleep. I'm nurturing myself. I'm nurturing my quality relationships. And now I'm giving something even more to me, which lets me go back into my everyday life, the best version of myself. Because everyone does return always a better version of themselves, which then fuels every other relationship they have in their life. The relationship they have with their partner, their children, their parents, the environment, you know, their work, like people, like It's amazing what happens when, I'm going to speak in the lens of women, when women carve space for themselves unapologetically um, and get over that whole thing of like, I don't deserve this, it's not the right time, I should be dedicating my energy and my resources, financial or otherwise, elsewhere. It's an investment. It's an investment. And it's like, I think sometimes it's scary if people invest in themselves because one, they've never done it before, so they don't know what it looks like. So there's the adventure already. Mm -hmm. Um, But also like sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it's, it's about doing the work. And you come back and you realise like, oh, what have I been ignoring? Maybe this relationship is not serving me well in my life. Maybe this job isn't the kind of job that I need. And when I'm always operating on autopilot, I'm not being conscious and deliberate with where I'm spending my time and what I'm doing with this precious time I have on this planet. And that's what time sometimes gives. It does give you space to reflect. And that can be scary. It's really scary because it's a... um the scary part the of it is that I've got complete control over it. Mm. The scary part is that I can make the change and I haven't until now, as mm. opposed to works too hard. There's other reasons why. I yeah. think some of that space actually holds, as you say, holds up the mirror to go, oh, I can make a change here and I haven't yet done that Yeah, before. and it's in my hands. Mm. The 
the call to a challenge can sometimes be something that we go, yep, sure, no worries, but I'll just do a little bit. Like I'll just do a small kind of challenge. When I say small, I don't mean that in terms of either distance or whatever it is. How can we make sure we're not playing small? I think first thinking about your goal and making sure it is a stretch goal. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can extend. You can extend by doing the same thing, but doing it in a different way. You can do something that you have no idea what it's going to look like. You can do something where you're sharing the experience with someone that you wouldn't normally do it. So you might learn something on a social, personal level. There's so many different ways, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, that we seek extension. Some people like to creep, creep, creep their way out of their comfort zone and other people like to catapult themselves into the unknown. I actually think all of them are fine. Both work, yeah. Like they, they yeah. both work and at different times in our life we seek different things. That said also it's okay to be in your comfort. You know, I, someone asked me the other day, what's the percentage of time you should be in your comfort and not in your comfort? I'm like, oh, God, I don't have an equation. 90, 10? I don't know. <laughs> I said I think, I mean, I don't know if I live this, I probably – yeah, I probably don't live this, but I thought like 40%. <laughs> I love this random. <laughs> I've come up with this statistic. <laughs> Einstein, Einstein said. Einstein said, Samantha Gash says, spend 40% of your time, you know, in extension mm. and 60% broadening out your foundation so you can truly leap. The time also within your comfort is also equipping you for the times that you're going to be thrusted out of your comfort, not of your choosing. So I, what I'm saying is like 40% of the time that you're choosing extension, realising that within the other 60% you might have already been forced to. Extended, yeah. So yeah. things are outside of your agency if job has yeah. changed. COVID, whatever choosing. it is, like all that kind of stuff, we were yeah. forced to do it. But it's like I think consciously selecting extension and in how you're going to do it. And, you know, like the reality is you create a plan, you take the first few steps, shit hits the fan, and you reinvent. Mm. You like, you keep calm, you remind yourself that you've done this before, and if you haven't done something specifically like this before, you're strong and capable and you've got a support network around you that you can seek advice from. Again, no woman or man is an island. And then you go, well, what's the next best plan given the set of circumstances that are in front of my way? And I'm going to reiterate, I'm not going to think too far ahead, I'm just going to get step by step, micro plan, micro plan, and then you keep moving forward. It's a good formula. It's a, it's a good, like, yes. I mean, it's it's what we had to do there, but, like, it's also what I do in my business. I think gone are the days where we had these, like, you know, really concrete 10-year plans. I, well, remember when I was younger, I was always asked what was my, like, 10-year plan. And now I'm like, eh, maybe ask me what my one-month plan is. <laughs> Six months feels like it, like different. The, things are going to change significantly. So that yeah. ability to have a forward plan, but we can have a vision around who we want to become totally. without that kind of it's, with the adaptability of what that might look like. You know, it's just good to know what you care about, what are your values, and that be the guiding force behind you saying yes or no to certain things, you know, and then also what you create mm. and remembering like no is the biggest yes ever because saying no to things that don't fit within your values um, means you're making more space for the things that really do sink in well with it. Coming back to that solid foundation, having that foundation to be able to leap from. So if you are catapulting <laughs> or if you're going into the unknown and, and shit turns up, but you've got this anchor of a foundation is really powerful. I think that whether that's wellness, 
mm. feeling good, mentally feeling good. So if change is coming at you from the unknown, not of your choosing, life turns up to be able to have that solid foundation is really key. What are those things for you? Do you have non-negotiables for your foundation? I mean, it's if you just break it down into like the simple drivers to well-being, it's quality of sleep. And not just like quantity, like, yes, I aim for eight hours every single night, but it's also like, what's your relationship with your sleep hygiene? What are you doing just, right, you know, including like, what do you do just before you go to bed? Where are you, where are your devices? Are you having a shower just beforehand? You know, clean sheets. Like I think sleep's just so critical for recovery and performance. And I'm not just talking about physical, like I think we all have to perform in our jobs. Um, we have to be mentally switched on. We need to be mentally switched on more than ever because things are changing all the time. Mm -hmm. So we need to be in what it is and then be willing to change and be able to do it with like nuance and grace. And I remember I did a keynote presentation the other day and the tech wasn't working. And I, I get panicked. Like I'm someone that kind of like when things aren't working out, remember I'm tape hype personality. I'm like, oh, this is not going out. But in the back of my mind, I was able to have perspective to go from the moment that you've walked into this room, you're on. And like you are providing an experience and why should someone, you know, listen to you talk about composure when you can't, <laughs> it's not just like you presenting with composure and talking about it. It's mm. how you conduct yourself yeah. when things aren't going to plan. And it was, I was just like, you're on now, like live in the principles that you talk about during your adventure. And I think what people forget is like how you conduct yourself isn't just in like the big times when things aren't going to plan. It's actually in the micro. It's in the everyday and the in-between. And I think sometimes that's when people slip. Think about it in our relationships. Why does our partner or the people we're closest to sometimes get the worst version of ourselves? But we think that we have to be really on and perfect and calm and composed, you know, in the professional moments. I know we're kind of, you know, doing a sliding scale of well-being, but I think looking after yourself allows you to be good in just in all the moments, not just yeah. when things aren't going to plan. And part of that is that in those moments is that trust yourself, oh. compassion for yourself as well. Yeah, and like you're going to make it this work. It's going to work out even if that presentation is not going to go and you're going to have to just speak for 50 minutes. Wow. Bring it on. <laughs> like Next you can, time bring your guitar and away like, you go. <laughs> yeah, so I think sleep's really important. Obviously, yeah. you know, I'm a big like advocate for movement, time in green spaces nurturing your quality relationships in life. At the beginning of every year, I really do do a bit of stock take on what are the relationships that I cannot let slip. I have to be intentional and mindful and put effort into. Mm-hmm. I think the older you get, the more you kind of go like, oh, everyone's busy and like, it's fine. Like, you know, things will always just pick up where they left off. And yeah, maybe that happens. But I actually think like, if you don't invest in your relationships, they become stagnant and like every time you catch up, it's like you're doing a quick like debrief on where things have been versus like supporting each other in like the evolution of, of who you're both becoming. And so like, yeah, I, I literally say like there's five people that I will die on a sword for this year that like even if things are going busy in my life, mm-hmm. like I'm going to show up for these people because like I feel like I'm getting to an age where like stuff is happening for all of us you know, personally and professionally and like, yeah, I'm there for those people. Yeah, you never know when you'll need them. Yeah, and I just so happened this year, like I feel like pretty much all of those five people have been going through a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And like there's times when you're like, oh, this is is full on, but I'm like, you know that when it's 
your turn, like you're there for each other and you're not doing it because it's like a quid pro quo. It's like no. these are my nourishing, like this is my well-being, like this makes me feel better. And you've by being intentional about it and almost articulating who those people are, it's not a hundred people. No. That you're trying to spread yourself across. You're really intentional and purposeful about that. And they know that it's mm. them too. Like I'm really open about, you know, like yeah, and I and like last year doing the expedition, like I let some of those relationships slip. And I have like friends in my life who really call me to account when like, you know, you can be better. Um, I mean, you know one of them, Kemi. She's like really she's like and I remember I was up one of the peaks during Nepal and I was like I don't think I've been as a good a friend this year as I would like to think that I am. Mm-hmm. And I like friendships where we have expectations of each other because, like, it means that I'm, you know, I think you should have expectations of your friends. Yes, you have grace and, like, you talk about it and, like, it's not like I cut you off when you don't meet the expectations. But, like, why shouldn't we be the best versions of ourselves for the most important people in our lives? I love that. That yeah. sense of being held accountable. Yeah. And she would tell it. Oh. <laughs> but like I it's love a good it. one to have. It, yeah. It really, it's. You know. Yeah. It makes me rise. It does mean that those connections and relationships won't fall to the background and three or four years later you go, I really miss that. I, there's a sense of yeah. grief in lost, losing something that I didn't realise I'd lost. Totally. Till, till afterwards. Let's shift a little bit, but it's uh, it's on that kind of sense of having the foundation and then looking for adventure, her trails. Yes. Talk to me about the intention of starting her trails and then what it's evolving to become. I mean, her trails really started uh, during COVID, realising that as an athlete and an adventurer myself, I hadn't always been as holistically minded and how I built myself to go on these unknown adventures and how shaky it becomes when you don't have physical strength, mental training, community surrounding you to support you. And so uh, my co-founder, Beck and I wanted to create a program that was kind of rooted in trail running and nature and mindfulness, whilst also creating women to be the strongest that they've ever been, whilst realising that they need to do it in a way that they can sustain. So it's not about breaking you. You are genuinely building yourself. Uh, And so that's kind of like where it started. We wanted women to be interconnected but also Mm -hmm. self-reliant, resilient, and to be able to find their inner joy. So I feel like that's carried through. But as the world has changed, we're also seeking broader ways of being able to do that whilst getting women together. Like recently we've... You know, we do. I do these retreats in the Lara Pinta and now in Bruni Island. You've almost been like the guinea pig every time. Right? <laughs> Sign me up. She just she just calls me and goes, "I've got another spot. I'm I've like, got another okay. spot. I'll clear the dates. I'll clear the dates." <laughs> um, and what's been really incredible is like it's the women that have felt connected to these programs that have really built these programs to be what they are. I feel like we've created fam a family. Mm. You know, the women who do like the 21K programs, the 10K programs, the ultra marathons, and like we keep fine tuning, like, gosh, some of our systems were so shit at the beginning. And now we have also learnt how to show up consistently. And I think in the beginning we were a bit ad hoc. Um, again, capture failure. Like yeah, I think sometimes when people feel like they've done something bad, there's shame associated with it. Like, oh, people have judged us. Well, No, because they probably don't know the difference, but like consistency is so important. So like we've done a lot of new things with trying to, you know, we brought in, you know, operations, which is like Lizzie, who's like the heart and soul of our, you know, brand as well. And she's just amazing, really great into member experience. But yeah, I think it's 
her trails is about the women behind, you know, her trails. Talk to me about your personal evolution as a businesswoman. So often when you've got that intention, it's part and parcel of kind of who you are. Yeah. Your, your heart's on the sleeve, oh, <laughs> on the, almost on the logo in so many ways. And a big part of business is being able to start to delegate, yep. let go, allow the entity. So we've got a business, Pragmatic Thinking, it's been going 15 years and I now talk about it like another person. Yeah. And it feels really good to do that, but, geez, it was hard. It's so yeah. long. And I feel Where like are I'm you get, at? I'm doing pretty well. In fact, I thought I would be harder because um, I sometimes like to have my tentacles and everything. That said, I work with people I trust. And when you work with people you trust, it's like you own your lane. If you need help in your thing, like I know that I only have so much capacity and the capacity that I have, I want to focus on the areas that I know that I can build this business to be sustaining and supportive to those who are a part of it. So, yeah, it's actually lovely to go like, Beck, that's that's yours. Like I don't need to check up on you. You do that. Lizzie, you're incredible at that. We've got, you know, you're on board as our like her trials educator, as our psychologist, um, and it's just so nice to be working with incredible women who are incredibly complimentary, have a lot of crossover in different areas, but the way in which we educate and support is quite unique. You know, I wanted her trails to be a separate thing. Like I could have done like Samantha Gash's training programs, but I like I just really didn't want it to be the case. Maybe it's a question for you. Like when I did Tasmania, like I didn't want to be the voice behind everything. And so I brought people along that I knew would be amazing. And it was so funny because, like, at the end, everyone's, like, saying what they love the most and, like, most people said, Hannah, our, like. <laughs> and, like, there's this moment where I was, like, I was, like, really joyful about that. Mm. And there was a little part of me that was, like, oh, does that mean that I didn't do good enough if everyone's not saying mm. that, like, they're, you know. Is it my feedback form? That <laughs> <laughs> Alan and I have a thing. Well, we're we're anti-feedback forms. <laughs> um, but I was like, no, like it's really nice to let other people shine mm. in the things that they're great at and I've created a platform for that to be the case. But like the attendees shouldn't be like focusing on the platform that's been created. They should be in it and feeling the moment and the experience, the people that they get to connect with. Yeah. So I, I kind of feel like I did my job well. 100%. It's that sense of being able to let the ego go. And yeah. I am speaking to the female listeners here, but there can sometimes be this sense of unless I'm doing it all and I'm the one busting my gut and out the front and getting the accolades as well as kind of not sleeping and pulling myself apart in the process, then I didn't do any of it. Yeah. And I think we've got to change that narrative. Totally. Like it's so nice to be like, oh, oh my gosh, like Hannah's running this session right now. I'm just going to I don't need to jump in the water and be with it. You probably noticed that I didn't. Mm. One, like I don't really love cold water. (laughs) (laughs) But also like I didn't want to be, a lot of women might initially hear about her trials via me, but like you're not going to stay in her trials because of me. You're going to stay in her trials because of the women that you meet and the connections that you get to share. And so sometimes extracting myself away from that moment allows that to organically happen. Um, and allows you to shine, like allows shining, but allows you to be in yeah. who you are, as yeah. opposed to being pulled in a million different directions. Yeah, and to conserve, you know, my energy. And so, like for those who run their own businesses, like you're still in 
if you step out. In fact, you're probably in more because you're more intentional with the energy that you're giving as opposed to spreading yourself thin. Like I want to have good quality conversations. I don't want to feel like I'm chasing my tail because I'm trying to do everything. And it can happen when you feel like you're the driver's seat or like you're the engineer behind the business or the idea or the retreat or whatever it is. Bring great people on and then let them be. Let them shine. Oh, my gosh. It's like, and it was like everyone was, I mean, that was the best part of the trip. Like everyone was incredible. It was incredible. From the participants to the facilitators, like everyone. I will say like often in a retreat, like there's sometimes just one person that's a little challenging. And I've got to say in the majority of the retreats that I've done, that has not been the case. And that particularly that Bruny Island one, like no one was hard. The sense of combined values coming together, that sense of certainly not, and you and I have talked about this, um, how important it is to not rescue someone's experience. So in the moment, whatever that is, Mm. whatever it is, the thing that they might be realising or shaking or just to allow that the trees, the, the water, yeah. whatever it is can can deal with that is is such a key part of it. I think what I love about like her trails is that quickly women are learning that like you don't have to be a superhero, you don't have to be this adventure warrior like freak, you know, it's not unattainable. Like all of us have it within us and then mm-hmm. you go there and you realise it's actually not about the physical. It's, a, it's not about the act of being on the top of a summit. It's about how you feel as you're progressing along. Like it's the feeling that you need to hold on to. That's what's really important. And therefore it's really open to anyone. So I hope that we are playing a role in redefining what it looks like to be an adventurous woman and then let's take it away. I hope it's redefining what it looks like to be adventurous Mm. and more women get seen in this kind of like outdated vision of like, the hardcore, you know, like I'm good friends with Bear Grylls, but like Bear Grylls-esque, like, you know, ex-military guy. Like you don't have to be like full of muscles and hardy and like know how to create a fire and all that kind of stuff to lead an adventurous life. Fast forward two to three years, that's starting to shift and change. What are we hearing? What are you seeing? Like what's your hope or vision? That the women within our fold and the expansion of that are realising that they can sustain it. It's not a one-off experience. Uh, It's about being connected to a group of like-minded women from all around Australia and, you know, perhaps as we keep evolving it around the globe where you've got your safety net is the community and your safety net is yourself to keep doing this. You gave a little mention earlier, but tonight we are watching the premiere of your documentary across... uh, Our documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Across Nepal, Resilience in Motion. What... What does resilience look like to you and what, uh, what have you learnt about resilience? Resilience is about a mindset and most importantly it's about a mindset that's willing to endure. And in the process of enduring there's an acceptance that things don't go to plan and in fact the greatest certainty is that there will be uncertainty. And so I think a lot of the times what creates overwhelm for people is when something happens that they weren't prepared for. But if you know that it's not going to go to plan when you invest yourself in the first few steps, then when the unpredictable happens, it's like, oh, well, I knew that was going to happen. That's a part of it. You know, just keep moving forward. And I think, you know, I will speak for women. I think you've got to be willing to play the long game. You've got to be willing to invest because particularly in spaces that we haven't always belonged in, 
you have to be willing to just inch forward slowly and slowly to build up credibility for more people to see you in that space with composure, but with vulnerability uh, and backing yourself to have that constant skin in the game. Hence coming back to that foundation needs to be really critical. Totally. In order to be sustainable. Yep. Because this isn't a short burst of, oh, no. I can be composed for a week, but then, <laughs> then I'll just lose it. Lose it. <laughs> yeah. To being able to come back. It's a pendulum and it's okay. It's like a constant dance. Like, as I said, a dance between extension to restoration. You know, when you achieve one goal, like the beauty of like reaching these finishing lines is the confidence that it brings to allow us to regroup and then like shoot for whatever stars that you choose to shoot for again. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it's okay to play that dance. Like we don't always have to be in push, then it kind of goes back. Like I really love that fluidity of life. Like Life is not stagnant. It's meant to be like ever evolving. Like human beings inherently are designed to evolve. Like that's exciting. We were designed to go on these adventures, to learn to stretch ourselves in new spaces, to meet new people, to create opportunities. I'm excited by that. What excites me around that as well is that uh, we can learn things that I didn't even realise I knew I needed that lesson along the way. Like yeah. we can have this, uh, you know, the goal might be to get to the end or to just make sure I get through or to feel strong enough or to meet a few more people. But there's so often, and you shared a couple from Nepal, that mm. so often lessons that oh. I didn't even know that that was something I that would be valuable for me. No. <laughs> it's, it's crazy to me that like a, a similar one that I keep hearing from people is like, oh, that I actually need to do less. Mm-hmm. Like why is that one of the biggest lessons that I keep hearing from people? Like, oh, I didn't need to push as hard. And yeah, there's a place for the push, 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 but like not we shouldn't always have to be pushing. No. I think if we've learned anything over the last 10 years with mental health is like we spend plenty of time in overwhelm, in a state of crisis, can adventure and the unknown be something that creates solace as opposed to push? That's the challenge I ask of you. In terms of the extension and restoration, what season are you in at the moment? Ooh, I'm really putting a lot of focus on her trails while simul- simultaneously feeling a little bit of guilt that I've got some other projects on the um, that need to move forward that I've committed to that I probably haven't given enough energy to. So I probably am in a period of a little bit less physical extension, although I always have a baseline that I'm working on, um, and probably more in like crafting, sustaining projects or programs, um, <laughs> writing my book. My <laughs> publisher is listening to this. I really am working on it. Get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> I am working on it. Yeah, so there are some things that I'm – working on that um, I, I wouldn't say I'm in like total restoration. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect like as much as I talk about it. Like I need to be a bit kinder to myself with how much I can actually get done in a day. That said, I just had a massage before this and yesterday I had, you know, I crafted two hours in the middle of the day where I wasn't going to open my computer and like I – I did both those two things. And do you feel one ounce of guilt about any of those things? No, because like I can feel like I need it. Like, you know, I think when you know that you need it, yeah, there's stuff that I didn't get done. But, you know, like you can't, what is it? Like you can't pour from an empty, what is that? I'm terrible at analogies. The worst part is I'm terrible at them, but I always try and use them. So I get halfway through it. I'm like, you you know, the cat that flies over the, you know. Whereas I am the queen of the mixed metaphors. I'll oh. often tell you I'm the, the brain scientist or the, the rocket surgeon. <laughs> just to combine the two. So I'm not the one to ask. Yeah, well, anyway, I um, mm. yeah, I know that I need to keep finding ways of 
being in restoration whilst also being an extension. So we talked about like broadening at the foundation before you go into an extension. But then like just be, then once you go into the unknown doesn't mean that you can – I'm fine. I, I, I looked after my well-being. Yeah. You've got to find sustaining ways. So when Jesse and I were in Nepal, like one thing we could not do particularly well is sleep. Like we had very minimal sleep. The quality of sleep wasn't great. So like we were really like operating from deficit and food wasn't great. So the things that we did focus on is like our quality of relationship at the communication that we had, the kindness and the grace that we shared to each other. So like we kind of bucketed the things that we could still have ownership over. I think it's really key and that wasn't a pointed kind of question around do you feel guilty but so often we go oh it was my guilty pleasure to go and have a massage it's like no 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 that, was, that was an investment oh in yeah you like being I, able to I was like I needed that yeah we're, about, we're on stage tonight girl yeah totally yeah I'm going to have my massage after this and you've got a book to write so final oh. question <laughs> I've loved this conversation yeah. Sammy the the name of this podcast is called Standout Life mm. I know I've asked you this question before but in this moment, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? Oh, um, what does it mean to live a standout? It's funny, like there's this part of me that's saying like to sometimes like step back. I think that what it looks like to stand out is going to be different all the time. You know, standing out has these connotations of like being front and centre, highly energised, Um, but I think the reality is like, sometimes it's like the work that you do behind the scenes, like where other people are taking that moment forward. And I'm really in this space right now where I'm really wanting to collaborate with incredibly great people because what I want to stand out is something that's actually not really about me. Uh, and so like, it feels far more collective than the singular. And it's the work that I'm doing when no one is watching right now that I feel like is going to help the collective stand out. I'm all for that. Yeah. Connections, doing it together. Mm. It's a very lonely life, like, as it already is. Like, so why make it more lonely? You know, what, who, who wants to be, like, the one in the spotlight when there's no one around them? Like, I think I've, I feel like I've had a period of time with that and it didn't feel particularly fulfilling. And so I, I feel like it's funny, like, I do things that, like, I own it. Like, I do things sometimes that give me a degree of spotlight, but it's, I don't do it because of that I do it because I like to defy the odds like I like to do things where so few people do it and like sometimes those things have a degree of like notoriety or presence that's given to it but that's not the draw card the draw card is like trying to crack the code and like trying to be in it you know when you know so many people kind of go that's too hard like Mm. there was a draw to that but now I'd like to like help more people crack the code and realize that the code is not that hard (laughs) like let's share the secret If you've enjoyed this conversation, then let's keep the conversation going. The main place that I hang out is on Instagram at Ali Hill, A-L-I-H-I-L-L. One of the ways you can continue to support me and the team behind the podcast is if you could take two minutes just to rate and review Standout Life Podcast on whatever platform you are listening to. You can also subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes come out. And if this conversation is one that you know that someone in your world would get huge amount of value out of, then please share share it with them or maybe share it on your socials. Once again, thanks so much for tuning in, for your ongoing support and for joining me in exploring what does it really take. As always, this is Standout Life Podcast and I'm Ali Hill.